John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 148.LV2519, certificate number 36525. The Boysenberry. Mmm, I got a plum. Grandpa, this banana's fantastic. It tastes so real. Try some more. The strawberries taste like strawberries. The snozberries taste like snozberries. Snozberries? Who ever heard of a snozberry? We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. It is summer now here in the Northern Hemisphere. It was hilarious to me when you walked in the door of my house dressed like a 1965 CIA agent in your cargo shorts and your, your anonymous baseball hat. Yeah, officially I'm with the Commerce Department. Mm-hmm. You're wearing you're wearing shorts and a like old Hawaiian shirt as well. Not even Hawaiian, like uh, Venice Beach. I don't know where's that. This is a Hawaiian shirt. I have a I have a large a large collection of of vintage Hawaiian shirts that really identify me as a guy who has stopped trying. (laughs) And 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 I'm embarrassed, right? I go out in public and I'm like, yeah, that's right. Here I am in my. And my shirt that only like one in a thousand people is going to recognize as a thing. Like, oh, nice Hawaiian shirt from But you, you haven't reached the last level, which is wearing Hawaiian shirts because you don't have to tuck them in. Like, because you're the size to be a big Hawaiian shirt guy. Right. That's no, good. I don't, I don't wear them to mask my, um, the fact that I'm shaped like a papaya. Middle-aged spread. No, I wear them because I love the, I just love the culture and I love the- <laughs> You're full of the aloha spirit. I have, I'm so aloha. And the thing is, you know, the ones that I wear, the tunics, you know, they don't, they're pullover shirts and they have a reverse print on the fabric. You see how the- It's true. This, this, you see how the fabric is, the outside is in? Yeah, the, this is a podcast. No one can see your this. inside is out <laughs> and your outside is in. So come on. Hank. Um, but it does communicate, I think, to most people like dad, I don't has, care. Just dad has stopped trying. Dad doesn't care. Yeah. DDC shirts, Inc. But we are, we, neither of us have ever even seen the other one in shorts. I don't think. No, you, that's true. And here we are. It's like summertime. Were you a little turned on? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it was, I was turned. <laughs> <laughs> I was turned away from wearing shorts forever. Yeah, turned in like the way that milk turns. Uh, we are possibly speaking to an audience that doesn't have four seasons doesn't have four limbs <laughs> yeah. the lobster people 
have no idea that there used to be a nice warm part of the year and then a kind of a bracing cold part because they either live in a dusty wilderness dotted with car wreckage right. where it's always hot or uh, in a snowy wasteland where um, you and I are frozen in a glacier somewhere. Any either thing could be true. I'm, I'm imagining that futurelings live in a state of constant brush fire. <laughs> So they're just like stressful. Yeah. So <laughs> everything's on fire all the time and their little their their husks are cracking and they're Can you imagine waking up in the morning and being like, ah, oh, ready to face another oh right. <laughs> brush Every fire. day's a brush fire. That's this, rough. This is the time of year in Seattle, which is I, I think a lot of us find super hilarious because anytime if a person not from here visits here now. They think this is paradise. I mean, it's because it's great. How has no one told me yeah, it's like about this natural wonderland? 80 degrees all the time. There's a light breeze off the water. Sun is shining, but it's not overbearing. The sound is glistening. The mountains sparkle in the distance, still yeah. snow-capped. The whales, you know, they arc up out of the, and they flip their little tails. and They like, freeze frame yeah. in the air so you can take a picture right next to the Space With Needle. A rainbow under them. And it's just <laughs> like, how could anyone not move here immediately? And people... People do move here based on their experience of Seattle. Then they get depressed and become serial killers. They they get added to our long catalog of serial killers. (laughs) No one tells them about October through May. Uh, You know, the main thing about summer in the Pacific Northwest is the blackberries. That is a major thing. Although I have a cherry tree that's about to go crazy right outside this window. Exciting. Do, Do you get fruit? So much fruit. And it's not... It's not those inedible choke cherries that are always littering the sidewalks here? No, those are terrible. Um... And you know, and there are rainier cherries and great, great cherries in this region. This is a cherry you wouldn't think, it's just a normal, like a red cherry, like mm-hmm. the, like a basic cherry that you wouldn't think would be good. It basic. would just sort of be like, meh, basic cherry. Is it a Bing cherry? It's a Bing cherry, but they are phenomenal like, that come off of my tree here. But you have to battle all the wildlife. I mean, everything, every critter within 20 miles of here knows about this tree. Squirrels and wasps, baby. And birds and raccoons and everybody's, everybody. Converges. So do you just spend all summer in a Hawaiian tunic with um your hands dusty with flour from all the, the pies and turnovers you've been making? I don't like cherry pies. Really? No. What I about the warrant song? I don't like I don't like warrant. I don't like the warrant cherry pie music video. There's nothing about warrant's cherry pie that I approve of. And you hated it so much you stopped eating the namesake dessert. When Warrant's cherry pie came out, that was that for me was that was the moment that I renounced metal forever because that was also like that same week was the week that Soundgarden's bad motor finger came down so it was like you pick had to pick a side evolution has chosen <laughs> the, the, the punk part of metal will continue but not in this hairband line I'm sorry that's right the one thing I like about cherry pie is that there are so many of those songs that are just about dirty sexual things and they made a wholesome song about it, a delicious family dessert no no I'm afraid not <laughs> no, I'm afraid you're not reading into the song Ken, what I, they intend. I don't know what you're talking about. But I do love berry pies. I don't like cherry pies, but I love berry pies because I'm a Northwesterner and blackberries and raspberries and salmon berries all grow in proliferation here. We've entered this into the omnibus before that the, the invasive Himalayan blackberry has kind of taken over wild spots in our city and you get these massive 15 foot thickets of just brutal thorns, but for on, on, uh, three weeks a year, amazing fruit. On the other side of the house here, the cherry tree is to my left on the, on the right here. We have a, a blackberry portion of the yard. We're going to engineer this part in stereo so that the listener <laughs> can hear you moving across their head. Now I'm pointing the other direction. Uh, and it produces blackberries the size of a, like a chimpanzee thumb. 
I mean, they're, they are. <laughs> so is that the the measuring standard used for pretty much all small objects is different parts of a chimpanzee? I, generally, it, when I'm pricing something expensive, I'm thinking how many Dodge darts, how many 1972 Dodge darts could I have bought in 1986 for this amount of and money? And does the Dodge dart have a chimp in it? Is this an Eastwood movie? No, but then the chimp thumb <laughs> is another way of just like, a chimp thumb, like a really big chimp thumb, feels to me like two C batteries. And so, you know. Your grocer must love this. <laughs> how, much, uh, <laughs> how much of the salmon would you like, Mr. Roderick? I would need about 18 <laughs> chimpanzee thumbs, good sir. There are many different kinds of bramble fruit, which hmm. is the name for blackberries and raspberries and the like. I didn't know that, but that's a cool word. I think up here fruit. they say cane fruit because, you know, the, the shoots do kind of make these stiff, thorny canes. But the bramble fruit family tree is a complex thicket, if you will, of different fruits. I mean, we've all had blackberries and raspberries. It's a thorny topic. Oh, boy. <laughs> Look out. Now you're the funny one. <laughs> no, I'm just In adopting. Quotes. I'm adopting your dad humor just for this episode. <laughs> Uh, blackberries and raspberries have existed for centuries, but we now live, uh, you know, since the 19th century, we've lived in an age where you can make new fruit. So if there's, you want. there, we've talked about this, I think too, that there is a Northwestern variety of a, a native variety of blackberry. That's kind of a ground cover. Yes. And then Himalayan blackberries, which presumably are from what, Paris. <laughs> I think they're just called Himalayan because they're so tall. They've oh. never actually been to the... No, I think they are from, from Asia, the are they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of our, our West Coast blackberries, so-called, are actually dewberries, hmm. which are a related berry. By the way, none of these are berries. Does this bother you? It does. I, don't, well, I, I wasn't aware they weren't berries. They are... Uh, you know, a berry is the, fl- the part of the ovary of a flower that turns into a fleshy covering for the seed mm-hmm. when it fruits. Um, so blueberries and strawberries are berries, but so are cucumbers, mm-hmm. bananas, eggplants. Eggplant is a delicious berry. I am going to crack up my little seven-year-old daughter with this information. Did you know a banana is a berry? What? Why don't you have a banana berry? She's uh, she hates this kind of tea. Banana berry seems like an unsuccessful like Captain Crunch <laughs> spinoff. A banana berry. Mm. But so where are the seeds? The seeds in a in a blackberry are in between the little bubbles. They're in the little bubbles, which are called druplets. But because the whole unit is a bunch of those, I guess maybe each of those is closer to what a berry would be. The whole thing is called an aggregate fruit. So, so it's, it's like a bunch of bananas. <laughs> is an is this is the same as a. Is a blackberry? I guess. I guess it would depend on how they come out of the ovary of the flower. And I I look away when that happens. I don't want to watch. Yeah, no. I don't want to watch You're blackberries no get it on. I just like, <laughs> I don't want to watch blackberry sex. I just like innocent Do stuff. Not. Like the Warrant Cherry Pie video. Uh, so, yeah, there's the calyx, the stem, which has all these little druplets on the outside. And the difference between a blackberry and a raspberry, of course, is the torus. Of course. The, t- <laughs> the torus being the, the stem. So when you pull off a raspberry, what happens to the stem? Oh, it has the little... It stays on the plant. Yeah. You get a little hollow raspberry. Right. With a blackberry, it comes with you. So those are the kind of the two kinds of aggregate fruit that there are. Uh, it's the exclusive to those two s- styles. There's not a third, there's not a third way. Well, <laughs> what happened? Like half of it breaks off? <laughs> well, there are a bunch of new fruits because in the 19th century, um, kind of amateur backyard gardeners and professional horticulturalists started to try to improve fruit because they were incredibly bored. 
Sure, it was the 19th century. All they had was the Bible and Shakespeare. <laughs> they didn't have Shakespeare. There's nothing else to do. I wonder if there were, speaking of the Bible, I wonder if there were like theological reasons not to mess with produce before this. Or know, are like there, is God there... made the blackberry, God made the raspberry. He did not want them to be combined into blasberries. Couldn't, isn't there a, maybe a theological justification for it too, though? Isn't there some sort of go forth and multiply uh, argument? Well, Genesis says that God made every fruit after its kind. It doesn't say, and which is often used for, you know, young earth creationist types. Right. That does not mean, it does not say, so don't, whatever you do, don't try to cross a blackberry and a raspberry. But uh, maybe the technology was not there. I mean, uh, for years, people have been able to take. Uh, you could always do grafting, but you, but the, you, people weren't aware of the, of genes or of. Uh, right. Before Mendel, nobody knew genes. So there were things you couldn't do, like back crossing. You know, after you combine two things, if you have too much of one quality and not the other, you know, combine it with a parent. Right. And I, but I think people did understand maybe some of the principles, like uh, I'm going to, you know, use the, my bigger, you know, my more mildew resistant fruit or my bigger one or whatever it is, my well, this, juicier one. This is always curious to me, right? Because people were breeding dogs and horses for centuries, creating dogs uh, and horses, dogs and horses as we know them today. Out of wolves and, uh, uh, wild werehorses. But also, yeah, werehorses, but also making, you know, tiny dogs, big dogs, uh, fat-nosed dogs. Like it's almost a con it's almost like a prank, like make make the weirdest dog you can. Make a long one that looks like a hot dog. Make one that's face is so flat it can't breathe. Hilarious. And, and <laughs> right. Make one that, you know, will will go down a hole but can't get back out. <laughs> make one that just whimpers, kill me, kill me. <laughs> make one that by all other appearances is a horse. <laughs> Uh, but so they were, they had to be aware and, and they had to at least at some level understand how to take the qualities of a dog and, and refine them and through generations, but they didn't extend that to plants, which would seem to be the number one natural thing that humans were interacting with. They actually did. I mean, they domesticated wheat and uh, corn. Yeah, at the same time as they're domesticating these animals, they are domesticating wheat and corn and, uh, you know, things that just were native grasses that they learned they could chew on. But they weren't making razzle bears. <laughs> like corn is actually the descendant of a Mexican plant that I think still exists called teosinte, which is like corn, but terrible. <laughs> like it's got some thick, thick husk. You kind of have to like saw through or bang against a rock. And when you do, there's just like five to 12 kernels and they're not sweet and yellow. They're just hard and crunchy. But if you were an, an Olmec Indian super starved for any kind of caloric intake to save your life for one more day, you would chew on teosinte. And then over time, accidents of, you know, both accidents like, hey, I found one that was actually kind of nice or just accidents of what it crosses with, what it cross pollinates with. Or people being like, I'm going to start breeding these nicer ones and see if I get like extra nice offspring. That happened. I see it here with, because my neighbor has a cherry tree that is a, um, is a product of my cherry tree. It either is a, sh uh, a volunteer that came up as a shoot from the roots of mine, or mm -hmm. it propagated from a dropped cherry. But the neighbor's cherries are terrible because they, it reverted, you know, my cherry tree is, has been cultivated and it produced a cherry tree next door that is a garbage tree. And I've never actually gone over there. I've been meaning to for years and just said, can I cut down your cherry tree? Um, <laughs> George Washington. I cannot tell a lie. I hate your cherry tree. <laughs> the fruit offends me. It, well, it's just awful. It blocks the light and it just produces like garbage cherries. So it's like the difference between actual good comedy and improv. Yours is cultivated, carefully cared for, all the bad stuff trimmed away. His is just whatever. And so it's tiresome. Yeah, it's like our podcast, which is 
carefully and meticulously edited by our good friend Corinthian. Where we only talk about the topic, for example, boysenberries, a thing we have not yet mentioned. <laughs> right. As opposed to other podcasts where it's just two guys rambling. Two fun white guys cracking each other <laughs> about up. whatever. We, we would never yeah. do a show like that. No. no. We would, we no. would just hate, we, we'd hate ourselves. We are the boysenberry of podcasts. <laughs> Carefully honed. And so, so some of the, these um, innovations have continued until today, but around the 19th century, with the benefit of Mendelian genetics, hobbyists started to take this seriously, that, you know what, if I want my corn to be sweeter, there are ways I can do it. Can you imagine that being your hobby? <laughs> <laughs> Slightly sweeter corn, baby. It's so slow. It just shows the attention span difference between then and now that people would literally take a hobby where you might not see results for eight months or eight years. Well, and, and in particular, now you have so many people whose hobby is just interacting with the, the media product of a giant company. Like my hobby is a brand is collecting Marvel things. And it's like, that's just, you're just buying things. <laughs> uh, whereas this is le legitimately a hobby. Like you're out in the, in the evening in your greenhouse with your little gloves on putting little shoots in the ground and probably lowering reading glasses over your eyes to examine your, your grafts or and, whatever. And it also feels a little super villain, doesn't it? Do, isn't this the type of hobby that a super villain has? Too much control. Like, yeah. Like, Oh, Mr. Bond, join me in my, uh, in are, my greenhouse. Those would be like bonsai trees or something. <laughs> join me while I, uh, while I work on my pluots. <laughs> but we all reap the benefit of things like this. You know, I, pluots are probably pretty recent, right? What is that? Plum plus apricot? Plums and apricots. And they are... Is that 20th century? That, that's actually really new. Yeah. Pluots are the new plumcot. They got rid of the M and the C? So plumcots were developed like 100 years ago during this grand age of, of fruit hybridization. Luther Burbank inventing the russet potato and all this. Yeah, it was Luke Burbank's uh, like great uncle, Luther Burbank. <laughs> is this canon now? Uh, I'm the, just... The podcaster Luke Burbank is the descendant of Luther Burbank? I'm going to say because the because literally the plumcot was too beautiful to live. <laughs> uh, it... It, it does seem like the name Luke would adopt if he went back in time and had to pretend to be his own great-grandfather. I'm Luther. My name everybody. is Luther, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, Marty McFly Sr. or whatever. But this is a problem I think we see with a lot of hybridized fruit, which is that the plumcot was beautiful and delicious, but couldn't travel. It was too sensitive. The skin was too, too thin. And so in trying to bring these things to market, by the time they made it even down to the corner market, they were all battered and nobody wanted to buy. You want plum skin and apricot flesh and they, they did the other way around. They had or the something. opposite, right. So, so now fast forward to the modern age and the plumcot is rebranded as the pluot, which is as you describe, Better it has skin. the plum skin and the apricot inside. And that's like brand new there. I actually bought stock in the company. I'm in the first round of investors. You know, you do this lottery every time you have kids as well. Like, I really want kids that, like, look like my lovely wife, but right. are really good at crosswords like me. Right. But what if I get a kid who, like, looks like me, but can only do a Tuesday crossword like my wife? Ooh, burn. Jeez. You know, she listens to this show. She does. She's going to be, like, waiting for you at home when the show airs. I said she was lovely and could do up to a Tuesday crossword. She's gonna, You're, you're going to walk in and she's going to have a wooden spoon that she's wrapping her the palm of her other hand. But with plants, there are ways to get the traits you want. I don't, you know, I'm not teaching the future how to do that because I'm not one of these weirdos in his backyard. Well, the way this doesn't work with kids, the way is that you kill the ones that don't, <laughs> that don't That's exactly right. meet your well, approval. What do you mean that doesn't work with kids? <laughs> 
When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. And this is true of us. You know, so many of the things we eat today we don't realize are the, the products of years of hybridization like... um. All the cabbage plants used to just be a kind of a gross wild mustard plant, which then became cabbage. But did you know that like cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, these are all the exact same species. They've just been trained in a different cultivar, so they look more like cauliflower or broccoli. And that was happening, I think, at the time of the Romans. You know, they were they already had broccoli down. Right. Um, but the big boom came, as we were saying, in the 19th century, Luke, Luke Burbank, Luther Burbank and his, uh, and his ilk. And one of the things they really wanted were better berries. I assume because this is a golden age of pies and preserves. Well, it's how how you get your fruit to last the winter. I mean, when you think about a wild berry and how tantalizing they are. But then they're not all that good. They're often not good and they're often really small. I annoyed you once by saying that salmon berries, beloved here in our Northwest Forest, are not that good. You did annoy me. I was was furious at that. I was at Discovery Park yesterday. The salmon berries looked okay. They came right off the... the, uh, what did I say? The Taurus, the, the Taurus, calyx, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was studying the, the Taurus, studying the Taurus. <laughs> and I popped it in my mouth and I realized this thing looks like a delicious raspberry and it tastes like a tomato. <laughs> and if you're a starving, uh, some <laughs> Indian, great, but I don't have to eat damn tomato taste and berry. You know, when salmon berries, tomato are, ass berries, when they are really like ripe, they're just not ripe right now. When they're ripe, they're phenomenal. I don't know if they're fun. They're I, fine. I mean, they're fine. All right. But they're, but they're beautiful and they're native and. It's a good feeling to forage for something. Yeah. And, and they're very pleasing to find in the forest because you're walking around because Northwest forests are very lush, but they're not abundant with fruit, it's with true. forest fruit. It's like the three things, you know, if you want ferns, salal, and, you know, it's the same three things over and over. Yeah. So the, uh, you know, maybe the, the, the family tree of these new berries is very complicated and it kind of all goes back to. Judge Logan, a uh, Santa Cruz era. This, this is all California, by the way. This is America enjoying the new sun and leisure of having discovered California and irrigated it in, right. in awful ways, as we've discussed before. Right. So California became this, uh, the, the cradle of agriculture. The berry basket of America. But none of it, none of it would be supportable during our future, the futurelings era of constant brush fires. None of this will be available. California is now the Mojave, but it's the size of the state and they can't believe it was ever a lush fruit basket. Um, Judge Logan wanted- Was he a judge? A real judge? He actually was a judge, Uh a district attorney and then some kind of superior court judge. He uh, was trying to cross two different kinds of blackberry, but made the mistake of putting them too near his raspberries. Oh, they all had some kind of talk about blackberry sex. They all had some kind of insane three way. (laughs) 
And accidentally, what he gets is not the blackberry cross he was hoping for, but something delicious. Judge Logan just created the Loganberry. That was something else you could do is um, have the ego trip of naming your new berry after yourself. Again, just like kids. You and Ken Jr. and Kenalina. <laughs> Kendra. Kendra. <laughs> Kensington. He's got a monocle. Um, so how, how could he both be um, practicing this, like, what seems to be like a very control-freaky Mendelian uh, fruit science and also just get these berries too close together and, and let them get it on and not notice? Well, the guy was the judge. The thing about all of these people is they're just hobbyists. Yeah. They're advancing the field, but in their spare time when they're not at their, you know, buggy shop or whatever. Another guy uh, combined raspberries, blackberries, and dewberries, the, the fake trailing blackberry. They, they don't go pop straight up like, um, like caneberries, like blackberries do. They kind of trail along the ground. That's the difference between dewberries and blackberries. By combining a raspberry and a blackberry and a dewberry, Mr. Young got the youngberry. The and ever popular youngberry pie. We don't eat so many youngberries. Loganberries, I think, have stuck around, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, again, I feel like this must have something to do with how easily they are commercially harvested and transported. Sure. You know, maybe young berries have a good quality to breed with something else, but they don't make it to market. And in fact, that's what happened. You breed a young berry with a Loganberry and you get the Olali berry. The Logan's Run berry? <laughs> yeah, you have to kill it when it's 30. <laughs> the Olali berry. So you've got an Olali berry. Then if you combine a Loganberry with a blackberry, you get the Santium berry. So keep in mind, we've got the Olala berry and the Santium berry in our quiver now. You combine the Santium berry with the Himalayan blackberry, this big new... Um, rival from the east, that's when you get the Chehalem berry. And once you've got the Chehalem berry and the Olala berry, you can cross those to make the Marion berry, which is kind of the state of the art of blackberries today. You're kidding. A Marion berry went through uh, all those permutations? Yeah, like five steps from any actual plant that God made. Well, now let me ask you as a berry connoisseur, which I, 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 am not which a, I know you to be. I am absolutely not. I apprehend the Marion berry. You apprehend it. I do. In my, in, I'm there in repose, like holding it up, like consider a, a last the Marion Berry. Poor Marion Berry. I knew him. <laughs> I knew Horatio. him well when he was mayor of Washington D.C. Uh, oof. The the berry, by the way, predates the crack mayor. Uh, so do you, was Marion Berry named for the berry? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I mean, think that was so. a question we used to ask in the '80s, but there was no internet then, so we there was no way to know. Was it a joke? Were his parents playing a joke like William Rufus, comma, King? <laughs> do, you, do you think that explains that explains a lot of the problems he had later in life? It's George Herbert Walker, comma, Bush? Being named for a, being named for a, unpo a still unpopular kind of Blackberry? No, no. I think his problems were rooted elsewhere. <laughs> Bitch, set me up. Um, but I cannot, for the life of me, really make a, t I mean, there is a distinction between a Blackberry pie and a Marionberry pie. A Blackberry pie is a darker, purer, richer kind of, but, but more, um, like you really taste the singular fruit. Whereas a Marionberry pie just f tastes kind of like a mixed berry pie, which I guess it is. It's just mixed. It's, it's been mixed over the years. Mixed within the berry. But all these different versions of these berries, like how different are they really? Like, did we need all these berries? It seems like you get a Marionberry and, and we should be done. I guess the goal today is, like you were saying, to get something that goes to market better, you know, will stay ripe on a store shelf for three weeks without going overripe, even if they don't taste as good, and especially even if they're not as good for you. I mean, a lot of these changes we breed into our plants, you know, we don't like the bitter taste, so we breed out whatever was bitter in there, but it turns out those were the... Antioxidants. The antioxidants and the anthocyanins and whatever 
you know, we, we like the ones that stay nice and firm and don't get squished up in the trunk, but then you just get these hard ball-like tomatoes that taste like nothing. Boy, it's certainly true of apples. Do you remember what apples used to be and oh, what they boy. are now? We're just tantalizing our, our a future audience just eating, um, getting their food pellet twice a day <laughs> from their Elon Musk pods. Yeah, their turkey dinner that's in the shape of a, of a caplet. I, when I uh, was living in Korea as a kid, my dad's parents came over to visit and the, we went out to the, some produce stand and bought some carrots and they had just never eaten a good carrot straight from the fields right to a little city market since they were kids. Because in America now we have these big woody carrots that right. stack and ship well. Um, they were just delighted to find a carrot that tasted like their childhood carrot, but they had to go across the world. My brother <clears throat> for uh, decades was an orchardist in, in Sela, Washington, mm -hmm. growing apples and cherries and pears. And it, and back in the seventies, you know, you could pull a ripe fruit off of one of those trees and take a bite of it and you'd, you'd, you'd fall backwards onto the ground. It would literally kill you. It, it would be so good. So good. And so many so, people died. So unlike anything you could buy now, you couldn't for any amount of money find an apple like that, as far as I can tell. But we also have the opposite issue where, um, for our generation, people grew up with the beginnings of this trend, just eating the easily shippable fruits which were all gross, you know, mushy, red, delicious apples, for example. Right. Red, to, but and, not delicious. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a misnomer. And whereas today we've discovered the Fuji and the Honeycrisp and all these apples that are actually better than our mushy childhood apples. Yeah, uh, but, but not, not as good as the, like, the originators, the rhyme animals. In all this thicket of fruits, oh, you were going to say they all tasted about the same. I think that's true. I, I, I mean, I'm not a connoisseur either. There's a real difference between a raspberry and a blackberry. Sure. But when you get into the, the, the breeds of blackberry, yeah, the multiplicity the, berry the cultivars there, there, there does become kind of an anonymity, like a, just a sort of general berry, which is not unpleasant. I like a general berry. I'll eat any berry. Well, I mean, if that's what sells, I mean, it's the same reason that TV and movies get dumbed down. You know, what appeals to the most people, a super sweet, super inoffensive tasting, pleasant berry is going to sell better. I had an experience recently. I went to the grocery store. I like raspberry jam. It's what I consider to be basically the best of all condiments. The king of the king of jams. Raspberry jam. I make, I make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I also put a little scoop of raspberry jam on my vanilla ice cream. Look at you. And they were out of raspberry jam because there was a sale on them. There was a sale on raspberry jams and raspberries jam. <laughs> I don't um, think that's right. And, uh, and so I was left to buy some alternate. And I'm not going to get your peach jams and your dingleberry jams or whatever. I, so I, I settled on blackberry, which is a fruit I love. But blackberry jam is just not, it doesn't, work the same way. It's just not as, it's not useful. Like it's a texture issue or it's flavor, flavor profile blending with the peanut butter. Yeah, it's or? flavor profile. In a way it, it, to me felt, um, blackberry flavor didn't suit those applications. Whereas Marionberry would have been absolutely fine. It would have just seeped into a peanut butter sandwich and, and wouldn't have noticed. I've never done head to head. Like I've never done the Pepsi challenge of berry cultivars. I think if I were eating two berries, like in a bowl, I would pick the blackberry over the raspberry. But in the jam context, it's the other way around. I have a friend who's, um, she was going, to, she's in Vegas this week and she was very excited. She's going to go to this place where you get, you eat 16 different ice creams. And if you can name all the flavors, your ice creams are free. 
This is the kind of decadent story that will tell the future why our civilization <laughs> collapsed, I think. <laughs> she was going to Vegas to a giant building probably shaped like a Greek palace yeah. to eat 16 different flavors of ice cream. And then they'd wheel her over to the vomitorium. Right. In Judge Logan's day, there were not 16 flavors of ice cream, you know? Right. They didn't exist. Well, it and was I, the Judge Logans of the world that this, lit that fuse. This is his legacy. So I asked her, like, so can you tell the difference between all ice cream? She was like, absolutely. I was like, you're confident. Yes. You could, and I said, you could tell the difference between like a Marionberry and a Blackberry ice cream. And she said, absolutely. Wow. And that's when I knew she was lying, I think. Because wow. Really? In ice cream? I but, don't know. But they're going to do something like, they're going to put like lavender ice cream next to dandelion greens ice cream or something where, you, where you're sure. just not going to be able to. Any eatery that has this kind of gimmick is a carnival game. Yeah. They're, they're carnies and they know that nobody can eat the 16 pound burger without having a heart attack. Right. Truckers have tried. Or yeah, or there's a tr there's one trick flavor of ice cream. Oh no, you said chocolate hazelnut, but this is actually... Hazel noose. <laughs> <laughs> Hazel um, In all this thicket of berry cultivars, uh, we finally are going to get to the boysenberry, by the way. Thank goodness. Or what are, are we at the 30-minute mark here? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> you know, Corinthian, when he, uh, when he edits this show, uh, I, I'm hoping that he takes 45 minutes of, of drivel out. He's so. going to just start right here. <laughs> the boysenberry is... <laughs> Nobody's ever going to hear all that stuff about your, your neighbor. What's wonderful is that neither, uh, uh, or rather neither or neither of us has ever listened to our show. So we don't know how we can't, we, we don't, we go out back and bury it in the ground immediately yeah. after recording next to your cherry tree. And, and, uh, and Corinthian, our, our, uh, archivist and, and, uh, yeah, how does he, uh, he, he's the one making this show. I hope he doesn't leave in all this side talk. Well, we just assume that, uh, you know, lifespan has increased over earth's history. Right. So we just assume, you know, it was the life average life expectancy was maybe 50 uh, a century or two ago, and now it's uh, 70 to 80 in most of the developed world. And we just assume we're speaking to aliens with centuries sure. to spend. They have 5,000 years of life to use up somehow. And no recording is too long for them. <laughs> They're like, whoa, this, you know, this podcast is only two hours? Well, okay. Yeah. They've watched everything in the Marvel Universe a thousand times. They've lived it. And now they only listen to like triple albums. Like they, uh, you know, if they see a single album, they're like, well, I hear the Beatles are good, but they didn't do any triple albums. No, it's true. What, what were the great triple albums? All things must pass. George Harrison. Yeah. Uh, name the, a second one. <laughs> is sign of the times by Prince a triple album or is it a double album? I don't think it's a triple album. Is, uh, Let, let's, uh, let's do an episode. Double uh, nickels on the dime by Minuteman. Is that, <laughs> no, I think that's a double album. 69 Love Songs. 69 Love Songs is a triple album. Yeah. Very good. By Magnetic Fields. Uh, yeah, we'll save that for another entry. Cross-reference, okay. Corinthian. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Boysenberry's origins are mysterious compared to those others. Because hmm. Judge Logan, I'm sure, was keeping a meticulous journal, not just of all the men he sent to their deaths, mm -hmm. but also of all the slightly sweeter berries he produced. And he hammered a sign in uh, out by the driveway that with, said, With his gavel. Logan berries. I mean, he named them after himself. Imagine him hammering that in with his, with his courtroom gavel. Wearing his robes. <laughs> the hanging judge. Judge Logan. Um, so we don't actually know where the boysenberry comes from. It seems to be a mix of a Loganberry and a dewberry. Yeah. So Judge Logan's work plus these blackberry-like trailing things. Oh, so so Judge Logan had to have been there before. Yes, he's the grandfather of the boysenberry. 
Um, but there seems to be some blackberry and raspberry in there too, but I assume it would be hard to tell because the Loganberry has blackberry and raspberry in it. Right. So hard to tell what kind of back crossing is going on. But so how, do, if you put a boysenberry and a Loganberry next to one another, how are they differentiated? Well, the boysenberry is huge as we will see. Um, it's named for a Swedish immigrant named Rudolf Boysen, who was in the Napa area, uh, got into fruit when he was in Napa, moved down to, uh, Southern California, Orange County, which was not yet the sprawl it is today. It was the Southland was just orchards. It wasn't named after oranges. It was named after William of Orange. <laughs> it was not yet Orange County. It was called as to be yet uninvented Berry County. Uh, and he brought his berry vines with him and started to tinker. Boysen. Boysen did. Uh, let's jump to 1932 when George Darrow, who works for the U S department of agriculture, he's their head fruit production guy. Mm -hmm. And also in his spare time, a big strawberry expert, mm. got a bunch of backyard strawberry experiments going on, knows more about strawberries than any other human being living. So do you think they were like pub quizzes then where he would come in and, and, uh, <laughs> and pretend to be just a lay person. And they're like, name the seven kinds of strawberries. And he's like, ha, ha, so ha. in this, in this scenario, Pub quiz exists, but it's all about strawberries. Yeah, berries and fruits. Basically. And other, yeah. What else you got? It's true. There was no pop culture yet. So you go to pub quiz and it's all like, which uh, variety of cattle? Yeah, right. <laughs> How many acre feet of water do you need to grow boysenberries? I will be passing around deciduous leaves to all your tables. Examine these leaves and tell us from whence... Uh, the oak came. This actually sounds like a pub quiz I would enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Why don't Finally, the first one that sounds interesting. This is your like Boy Scout merit badge yeah. pub quiz of your dreams. Uh, in 1932, Judge Darrow comes west to California from D.C. because he's heard rumors from a Pasadena nurseryman named Douglas Coolidge of a great, big, beautiful, big, juicy, purple, blackberry-like thing. The, you know, the blackberry of your dreams. And he wants to track it down. But as he gets there to find out that Douglas Coolidge is dead and nobody's heard of this Boysen guy, he goes to see a man named uh, Walter Knott, who is a, uh, has an orchard in the area. And he asks him, hey, have you ever heard of a, of a fruit guy? You know the fruit scene here. Do you know a guy named... The fruit scene. That's terrible, huh? That, so, that meant something different in, so, the, in the 1920s. So, so... This is, this is Judge Darrow, like Clarence Darrow? No, George Darrow. Oh, okay. He's the uh, agriculture. George US, Darrow. He's the USDA fruit guy. Right, right. So he's, this is Luther Burbank to today's Luke Burbank. Yes, but this guy's f with the government. He's the head fruit guy right. in Washington. Right. He's in the, I he's, don't know, the, the Nonagon or wherever the Department <laughs> of Agriculture meets. Uh, giant strawberry-shaped building on the Potomac. And... Uh, Walter Knott says, no, there's nobody, uh, nobody in the fruit scene here by that name. The only Boysen I know is Rudy Boysen. He's the park superintendent in Anaheim. And they go to see Rudy Boysen. Wow, this is the greatest adventure. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine being in the car? George Darrow's heart pitter-patting. <laughs> oh, I know, I know a Boysen. Let's go see him. He works in Anaheim. <laughs> they get to the, they get to, uh, you know, whatever, the parks department office. And uh, Rudy like, Boysen... <laughs> Hello. Hello. It's Rudy Poison. <laughs> this is when the omnibus becomes an old-timey radio sketch. They walked up to the door. Cluck, cluck, cluck. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. -a -ling. Hello. Come in. <laughs> it turns out that, yes, this is the same Rudolph Boysen from Napa. Oh, he, and he, now he's, he, he got a city job. Yeah, he, uh, I think he got, he, his berry vines did not go well. 
he ended up turning to oranges and at some point breaking his back in a terrible injury and, and having to get out of agriculture altogether. Got a got a cushy government job, a plum government job, you oh, might say, well in the, in the fruit scene. Well played. And uh, and they ask him, hey, so what about this? Did you actually invent some amazing new next gen BlackBerry 2.0? And, uh, I can just see Darrow. He's wearing a fedora and he has a whip on his belt. And he's like, <laughs> he grabs him by his his shirt lapels. Tell us about the berry, you weak, forgetful old man. Tell us about the berry. No, I'm sure he's a very kind man. And it turns out that it's true. Uh, back in 1927, um, he came up with this berry, uh, and that's why I think he's not even sure at this point, what the parentage is. Boysen's all forgetful and like <laughs> right. pulls a flask out of his pocket <laughs> and is like, oh yeah, I don't remember. He is Uncle Billy. <laughs> Where are the $3,000? I was just having berries, just having sex with each other all over the place. I don't remember. It was a different, it was a simpler time. Yeah. You could just let the berries go nuts. I was so lonely. It was before the, the berry blights of the 30s when that all ended. And uh, he tells him, yeah, we uh, tried to market it. it. We called it the sensation berry of the 20th century. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you had to have an angle. <laughs> sure, he's hyping those uh, Napa berries. But we couldn't get him to catch on. And so then it's like, well, where are the berry vines? Do you still have the berry vines? So they're still shaking him. <laughs> they're still shaking him by his lapel. Slapping him across the face. <laughs> Sober up! <laughs> Rudolph? I'm not sure why I made him a drunk, but I'm, I'm sure they all were drunk. He had a terrible back injury. He's yeah. 100% a drunk at this point. Right. He's Swedish, for crying out oh, loud. Oh, yeah. You know those people. Broken back Swedish drunks are, are thick on the ground in the 21st century. That completes our list of being super racist against every uh, European nationality, by No, the way. I have not gone, gone after the Estonians yet. But they have it coming. They do. They're going to hear from me. Future episode. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. Uh, so they go back to, Boysen tells them where his old field was. Uh, they go back to go through the weeds, his weed-choked old fields, and they find some berry vines that seem to match where he said he had planted them. So, uh, you know, Walter Knott takes them back and begins to carefully cultivate these vines. And sure enough, he gets fruit. And sure enough, it is what they now call the boysenberry. So this kind of like uh, agricultural archaeology archaeology is still a popular thing. I know people who are looking for heritage apples up in the Northwest here, going through old overgrown farms and stuff, finding these like raggedy old trees. Uh, But this is a great story. Absolutely. Like uh, those old heritage cultivars were really good. Plus it now it's a novelty, you know, now we have this whole culture of food fads where people demand the new thing. Quinoa, come on. Like that was so, 
2013. Have you ever made it a quinoa with a raspberry? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, this hunger for novelty is very pronounced in America. You know, currently we're in kind of the tail end of a kale and bacon craze. I mean, oh. maybe not together, but oh. like for most of our lives, do you know who the biggest American consumer of kale was? Cows. <laughs> <laughs> Even worse, Pizza Hut. Because they used it to line their salad bar, like the inedible big fake looking green leaves around the Pizza Hut salad bar. Is kale. Was kale. And they used more of it than ever went in a salad. You're kidding me. And the American Kale Association, AKA, AKA, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> uh, you know, hired a, an ad agency that had, you know, some very hip New York woman who had came from the fashion and the music worlds. And she was like, we're just going to get posh restaurants to start serving kale salads. And it's going to be at every gala of the season. And suddenly, kale is not decor. It is top shelf salad food. Wow, how smart. For the rich and powerful. I'm trying to think of something that is as bad as kale that I could turn into something really fashionable. Your neighbor's cherries. What about, uh, oh no, there's, they're useless. But what about if I just took the blackberry vines and said, all yeah. this time we thought the fruit was the thing? Because we're doing that with like peas and stuff, right? Like, yeah. Why are you guys eating the peas? Yeah, no, eat no, the no. Pea vines, it's man. the blackberry vine. It's a real. Ch- it's part of the challenge. You have to eat around the the, the, the thorns. The, the thorns. It's super painful, but yeah. you know when it pricks you at the roof of your mouth and it just <laughs> injects you with a little bit of that blackberry sap. There's nothing like it. Mm. Michael Paul and the food writer says Americans are very prone to these food fads because a we're a melting pot, so we have access to easy access to hundreds of of culinary traditions from all over the world. Uh, more than any monoculture would have. And second, we're a young nation with no deep food traditions of our own. So we're happy to be like, whoa, tacos, whoa, kimchi on tacos, you know, like w- whatever it is. Right. And that's the new comfort food because we don't, we don't have, you know, uh, uh, like if we were Swedes, we'd have a thousand year tradition of just eating the worst part of the herring pickled. And that would be our thing. Is that... Is it the worst part of the herring that they specifically idea. choose? I think they're, I think it's the, I think they're trying to find the good parts of the herring. I was just trying to be racist against Swedes. I was yeah. trying to fit in, John. Yeah, it's okay. I, I feel bad now. It's all right, Kenny. You know, I feel you terrible. Know, that kind of bigotry really, you have to really have deep roots, <laughs> deep, deep, deep animosity to the Swedes going back centuries. I guess I'm thinking about the, the Icelandic who eat that fermented shark fin and Yeah, right. They chew it up horse. and spit it into a hole in the ground and then let it sit for a year. But really that's because they don't have anything else. Nothing will grow there. The Vikings cut down all the trees, so they have to eat horse and, and whale shark or whatever. But there's also this desire to find traditional and old varieties of fruits and foods and bring them back through history, uh, we perceive them to be like more nutritious and more. Uh, and like, they may be. And more like cultivated. And by that, I mean less cultivated, but more like socially cultivated to eat these older varieties. And so which is the boysenberry? It's an old variety of a new variety. It's like someone's failed experiment that they dug up out of a like a bramble somewhere. So it, it, oh, it kind of fulfills both dreams. Yeah. The boysenberry is both. Although, you know, it, it really was only fallow. You know, it had its first run in the twenties. It's five years later when word finally gets to DC and, and Derek comes back. So it's a, it's a recent food fad that. Right. The guy's still alive. Didn't quite take it. You know, he's. He's in a chair, but. He's incredibly drunk. Yeah. But so, but five years later, boysenberry gets its second chance. And this time it catches on. It becomes the food fad. 
the, the fruit fad of, of the early 20th century for, for decades. What changed? Why, why did the boysenberry survive this time? A lot of it's probably Walter Knott's smart marketing. He called it the California-developed king of the bush. And st- <laughs> do you consider yourself to be the California-developed king of the bush? I'm not, I wasn't developed in California. <laughs> I think Anthony Kiedis calls himself the California-developed king of the bush. Yeah, maybe so. And Walter Knott also had a very successful roadside fruit stand in Anaheim at this time. And he started selling boysenberries, you know, when they were just fresh off the vine, just big, juicy. Nobody ever seen such a delicious, glistening fruit before. And he also baked them into pies, made preserves, and it became huge. By 1954, just 20 years later, there were 2,400 acres of California cultivating this brand new fruit. That's more than blackberries or raspberries. It was kind of the California berry of its time. I'm starting to put some threads together here. Anaheim, Walter Knott, who has a berry farm. So Walter Knott opened at some point a tea room on his property next to the fruit stand and started selling... What goes better with berries? Than fried chicken dinners. Than delicious tea and fried chicken. So, uh, yeah, his, uh, you know, his wife would cook up fried chicken for the passersby. You know, this is kind of the, the beginning of American car culture is roadside fruit stands that, that develop fried chicken dinners. Well, and, and also at this time, it's sort of like uh, the fact that they only had the Bible and Shakespeare to read. They also, I mean, American food was basically fried chicken. That was all there was. Fried chicken and hamburgers. And... They, they didn't have pizza. That was ethnic food. It's very suspect. Yeah. Even the hamburger probably seemed a little German, a little weird. Well, there were so many Germans in this country at that time, though. And... Uh, Lines got very long because the fried chicken was apparently delicious. So for them to have something to do, he started to put in shops and attractions. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of less interested in the development of the dinner. berry than than her for, forgotten recipe for chicken dinners. <laughs> I just want to, that's, that's the archaeology I want to get into. It's true. The line is out the door for fried chicken. Really? Like these people couldn't get fried chicken anywhere else? Maybe it's just all uh, travelers on their way somewhere. You're in the middle of the Anaheim orchards. Right. This is the only fried chicken for miles around. Maybe it was terrible. Can you imagine a time when Anaheim was just like boring farmland as far as you could see? Crazy. Well, Walter Knott is kind of the big driver that changes that because in 1940, he opens a replica ghost town, something for the kiddies to do while they are, while their parents are perusing the shops and the games next to the tea room. And he brings in all these, uh, actual Old West storefronts from Calico, California, and Prescott, Arizona, and creates a Old West-themed town. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. He had essentially just invented the theme park. No kidding. Old West-themed, uh, fun for the kids, come, you know, stay all day. He didn't charge a thing. I guess they were going to make it, make it up in boysenberry preserves and chicken dinners. So he was free to wander the ghost town looking at the, you know, blacksmith or whatever else he had going on. And this was a very influential discovery on Walt Disney, who, you know, knew about big European capitals with their kind of fun fairs and pleasure gardens and, you know, sometimes took his kids to the carousel at Griffith Park. But back then, fairs and carnivals were seasonal. There's nowhere you could go year round. Right. But he saw that Walter Knott had created on what is now Knott's Berry Farm a theme park. Right. And he thought, what if I did that, but with something that's more popular than the Old West, Mickey Mouse, the most beloved figure in America. Sure. So Co- Coincidentally invented and, and owned by Walt Disney. <laughs> right. Just a coincidence that he would have that, that brand. 
I don't. Do you think he? Do you think he meant for synergy, or was synergy just an ex, uh, like a kind of a evil bastard offspring of his enthusiasm? If if I try to put myself back into the feeling of mid mid nineteen fifties, the United States, where everything seemed possible, if you were a middle aged capitalist with a small mustache, um, I I I can't. I cannot imagine the the in one way like the hubris of of people that were building the interstate highways and terraforming the country. There's nothing here. There's never been anything like this. We're just going going to make sure there's, there's going to be one. And Disneyland was built in like a year, like 18 months. He built, he built a thing that had never existed before out of orange orchards. Well, you know, not, not also in creating his old West towns, he actually relocated the rolling stock of actual American railroads. Oh, wow. The, uh, the Denver and Rio Grande narrow gauge railroad, which was during this same era, like this was uh, also an era where railroads were starting to um, like go bankrupt because with the advent of the, the jet airplane, nobody was taking trains. And so there was all this... Trucks too, I assume. Yeah, right. Trucking replacing freight trains. There there was all this rolling stock of these sort of regional railroads that had, you know, old... In Colorado especially, little railroads, mining railroads, Mm -hmm. and not actually imported or adopted these actual like former working trains. They weren't weren't toys. They weren't like Walt Disney little choo-choos. They were real real uh, steam locomotives and, and cars. And, and and he just brought the locomotives for kids to ooh and ah over, or did he actually put in tracks so you could ride on? There's a narrow gauge railroad at Knott's Berry Farm that you can ride all the, all around the the farm. And um, and Disney yeah. ripped him off. And they're, they're some of the only narrow gauge working railroad. There are a couple, I guess. There's one in Colorado or two. There are a few narrow gauge railways still in operation. And in fact, there's one here in Washington. But yeah, the Knott's Berry Farm train is, is gorgeous. It's a real feature of the of the park. Uh, it's probably not a coincidence that the other Walt, Walt Disney decided to locate his Knott's Berry farm derived theme park. Also you know, in Anaheim. Yeah. Just a few miles away. <laughs> World famous uh, Anaheim. Which at the time was nothing. And, you know, in doing so created what is kind of modern orange County. That was kind of the beginning of the end for the orange orchards. Boysenberries, it turned out were too beautiful to live. They did not ship well. It oh, really? turned out. So they were great in, if you were eating chicken in Anaheim, but yeah. if you were in Seattle and wanted them. From a berry stand or a farmer's market, they were great. But it turned out they're only good for a very short season, like late May to early July. So you got six weeks when you can enjoy boysenberries. They're too juicy. to They, they squish when you ship them. Very fragile. And it turned out they're very hard to farm as well because the, the dewberry in them means they just trail all over. They're not bushes you can neatly tend. Oh. They just become a sea of, you know, a writhing ground of boysenberries. And so uh, there were only maybe 70 acres of them left in California around 2008. And that was the year the state stopped counting because there just weren't any left. Really? Um, so why do we know, I mean, boysenberry seems like such a familiar fruit. We still put them in pies and jams, even though, you know, as we discussed in the vending machine episode, we're no longer in the golden age of pie, of just having a Slice of pie. A slice of pie and a cup of coffee as a meal. I would have one right now. If someone, if if we had like a, a, a waitress on roller skates that just came in right now and put a piece of boysenberry pie and a coffee in front of me, I would be, that would be heaven for but me. But your brand is like 50s guy at a, 
at an automat right. or 30s hobo, maybe. Right. I don't know. I'm actually the guy using the handsaw under the table to saw a circle around the pie. That's <laughs> that's kind of my brand. <laughs> you're you're a Bugs Bunny villain. That's right. Yeah. So most of the world's boys. So we still put boysenberries and gem stuff, and most of it's grown in New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand it turns out has a much better climate. Um, California was always a little too hot and dry for the boysenberry. Interesting. So the boysenberries you eat today are probably from New Zealand, if indeed you eat them at all. So truly a global fruit. Mm-hmm. But it- the only the legacy left here of the great food fad of the 30s through the 50s is the American amusement park. Basically, we we wouldn't have them without the berries. Without Logan being co-opted by Boysen, Boysen falling into a drunken stupor. And Logan begat Boysen, yay. And then Boysen begat not, <laughs> and then not begat Disney ad infinitum. Disney's not a berry, though. The Disney berry. You've never had a Disney berry pie? What would be in a Disney berry pie? It's just churros and... Peanut uh, butter. (laughs) (laughs) And that concludes The Boysenberry. Entry 148.LV2519. Certificate number 36525 in the Omnibus. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant future... We have no idea whether social media still exists. We are not their distant future, by the way. Oh, in your distant past, in our distant future, there's a lot of distance between us and you. Maybe it's we're, just... We're a, not clear on which direction it goes. Maybe it's uh, in... It's almost unimportant, really. I think what, what matters is the emotional degree of distance. distance. <laughs> and the thing is that time is a flat circle, so they may not perceive time and almost certainly do not perceive time. They're probably really. fourth dimensional beings that see time as a solid they can look at. Right. So they're watching us right now. Yeah, they're re- like, record this. Time, stop it with your dumb description of time. But it's true. It means we can go as long as we want if they're fourth dimensional. It just makes the podcast seem very large to them. Like, it, it makes us stand out in the landscape of, of recordings. Do you think that they're going to start, like, nudging books off the shelves from their tesseract on the other side of our bookcases? If the, if the bookcases here in the bunker ever ever start to fall down, we will know <laughs> that the Futurelings have finally figured out how to communicate with us via via shelf. Yeah, but via shelf, the, uh, the true uh, babblefish of, of time dimensions. Shelf actualization. I'm waiting for it. Uh, you can find us on our social media, then. Uh, future beings right now in your current fourth dimension. Our our social media postings are archived for your convenience and have been for millennia probably. Uh, our episodes and other podcast-based stuff is at Omnibus Project in all those uh, different formats. Ken tweets relentlessly and occasionally humorously at Ken Jennings. I am so close to ghosting on Twitter again. So close. Dan Savage yesterday posted a delete your Twitter account to you or to everyone on his Instagram. So, I mean, it's not like a revolution. He's just on one (laughs) social media platform saying, get off the other one. But apparently it was very convincing to you. Well, no, because I'm, I always have my thumb poised over the delete your Twitter button. I just, I just can't, I can't bring myself. But then you to, see one of my delightful tweets, and you're I, like, "Oh, somebody, exactly right. somebody moving the art form forward." It's like, "Oh, Ken is having some Josh's with Michael Ian Black. I don't want to miss this." <laughs> uh, anyway, Ken is at Ken Jennings. I'm at John Roderick on all these same things. Uh, I also have an Instagram account, which I think is at least slightly more fun, slightly less mean spirited. 
but owned by Mark Zuckerberg, so certainly contributing to the end of the world. Oy, oy, oy. But how are we going to promote our podcast if I don't have all these wonderful platforms to spend all my waking hours on? We don't care. We believe that uh, the, the future uh, Titanium Age lobster people will They'll find discover it. it. They'll find it. That's We're, right. We, we don't care if people listen to it now. We're not in this for the filthy lucre. No, not at all. My goodness. I, I just, I so desperately want my own 50s car hop. Uh, a 50s, you want a 50s car hop? I want a 50s car hop. To come up on roller skates right now and <laughs> yeah. give you a piece of boysenberry pie? I so do, and I don't know how I'm going to do that on my meager income. Uh, but you can email us, and we will answer your emails at um, omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Um don't forget the futurelings. And you can interact with our other fans and occasionally us on Facebook. Uh, the Omnibus Futurelings group on Facebook. Listeners, we speak to you from your distant past, from the, the bramble vines, the weed-choked bramble vines of your past. The other side of the cube. We have no idea how long our civilization is going to survive. But certainly the 16 ice cream flavors in Vegas are not a hopeful sign. No. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. Uh, if the worst comes soon and kale turns out to be the last food fad in human history, then this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.